Welcome once again to The Ohio State of Mind, powered by Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. Alongside Tyler Danberg, I'm Caleb Spinner. Make sure before we get into this week's episode that you're following us on Twitter at State of Mind OSU. And make sure you are also checking in on Spotify for those of you who listen there for our question of the day. We always have one following our episode. Sometimes it comes with a poll question. But today we'll have a fun one based on baseball because now we are getting into the warmer sports season. Calling it an end to the winter season in a couple weeks here, Tyler, starting our postseason activities. But uh, we'll be getting into the baseball season, so make sure you guys are providing your uh, opinions down there. It's your best way to stay in touch with the show, aside from messaging us on Twitter. We've got some fun projects coming up, a Behind the Buckeye coming out sometime within the next week or so, and also getting ready for our Buckeyes Big Ten Men's Basketball Tournament Roundtable discussion featuring members of Nothing But Nylon and the Lantern Sports Desk. So make sure, once again, you're tuned into social media for details on both of those. Getting into our action from the week, our review of Monday through Thursday action. Baseball was at B- was against BYU at the Snowbird Classic, finishing up that tournament they had from the weekend. Monday, February 21st, they played at 12.30, just a hair afternoon. Buckeyes fell short of a comeback against the Cougars, a thrilling game still, uh, 9-6 the final score there. Marcus Ernst led the Buckeyes with a 4-3-8 batting average. He was tied for the most runs with two alongside Zach DeZenzo, a heavy hitter we know. Ohio State, they dropped only one game in that four-outing opening series in Port Charlotte. They finished 3-1 overall. That is also their season record. Great performances down there from Snowbird Classic. Came up a bit short at the end, but you can't fault the effort on the comeback to come down from 9-3 in the bottom of the fifth with a three-run in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah, everything was working. Just playing from behind came up short, and despite that unbelievable comeback on Sunday against Indiana State, Ohio State this time not able to recapture that entire magic and still fall 9-6. I'm excited to see what happens when Ohio State returns back to Nick Swisher Field at Bill Davis Stadium because if you're if you're going to open up the season, and we know that opening up the season is so much tougher because you've got the rust on it, you haven't played together as a team since the fall when you and I called the, the, Scarlet, and Grace, uh, the Scarlet and Grace series, rather. You know that it's going to be tough to gel that chemistry, especially with the new guys, the vets, all that jazz. Now to see that they go 3-1 and one in their first series on the road on the opposite end of the country is amazing to see that chemistry is not a factor, or at least lack of chemistry is not playing a huge factor to start for the Buckeyes. And this isn't just an Ohio State development because this is going on for most of all college baseball, at least for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten is that these are the first non-conference opponents that Ohio State, all these Big Ten, all these Pac-12 opponents, for example, that they have played since March of 2020. So the fact that they're still being able to play and coming out and facing teams outside the Big Ten and playing them well through the first four games, got another big weekend ahead against Texas State, that really tells you something. If you ever thought that your team would be playing less than having done a full conference-only schedule last year, I think those worries are put to rest seeing that non-conference action we've had to open up the year over the past weekend. Number 22, men's basketball hosted Indiana Monday, February 21st at 7 p.m. in another thriller, Tyler. It seems like men's basketball cannot escape thrilling conclusions in their games aside from a few blowouts here and there. The Buckeyes defeated the Hoosiers in overtime, 80-69. to That overtime score not indicative of how the full game went. It was close throughout, several lead changes. 
Malachi Branham, though, the biggest story, the game-leading scorer with 27 points, led both teams with that number, five rebounds as well. There are two ways to attack this theme, this motif in the 2021-22 Buckeye basketball season, Caleb. One, one side would be Ohio State can't close out games. The flip side, the spin zone to that, is that they just make it a little bit more exciting down to the wire. I think you can make the case that both of those can be true because that's exactly what happened on this Monday night. Indiana comes into town. Ohio State, they wanted that revenge because their loss at Assembly Hall was a killer. I think that really put them a couple steps back when they were coming off that long three-week pause at the end of the 2021 end of the season. But they played really good basketball, and Malachi Branham was a key part of it. That overtime, this was reminiscent of that Nebraska game, if you will, that one that was played right at the start of the new year because they were up. They led a lot of that game. Even though Nebraska, they trailed a little bit more. But they had that comfortable lead at the end for the most part, and then Indiana came racing back, and then Ohio State just dominated in overtime. I think the Hoosiers ran out of gas. Ray's Thompson, a key factor as to how Indiana gets production on both ends of the spectrum. He started to show some signs of fatigue. Trace Jackson Davis started to get shut down. So the Buckeyes a good job to recover in that overtime period. Yeah, Jackson Davis, one rebound shy of his 10th double-double of the season. He had 13 points, nine rebounds. Also, Xavier Johnson was a big factor for the Indiana Hoosiers. He ended up fouling out at the end of that game. Um, but uh, he just gave a tremendous effort the whole way through, and you said it, Race Thompson matched the effort of the National Player of the Year candidate, Jackson Davis. But this is where, like I said, the overtime final score was not indicative of the rest of the game. It ended at regulation 63-63. Ohio State had come back from it with a with a slam dunk, two-hander from E.J. Liddell, and then you get to the overtime, and Ohio State looks like a totally different team. Outscoring Indiana 17-6 to in the extra period, they ditched the three-point field goal when they needed to. Ohio State did. Uh, during regulation, they were 27.8% on 5 of 18 from beyond the arc. In overtime, just one shot, and it was a make at that, 100% in the overtime period. You saw them go to the paint when it mattered. That's what gave them the win in my book. Adjustments were key, and that's exactly what went down in that overtime. You talk about a total contrast between the end of the fourth quarter, the start of overtime, and then once triple zeros were on the board when the overtime quarter was done. So for Ohio State to go out and to totally change the way they operated in that overtime, that's critical, and I think we're starting to see them shy away from the three ball. You live and die by the three ball, not necessarily if you stop taking as many three-point shots like Ohio State did in this game. You know what? If I didn't already have the baseball question queued up for this week, I think I would have another one. Because I remember thinking this when when we were calling the game. Um, what if, because it, the, the overtime period is five minutes for basketball. And that got me thinking back to hockey. And so I ended up thinking, what if we did three on three for five minutes in basketball too? Like, what would that look like? That'd and, be interesting. And if we didn't have this baseball question queued up, which, you know, up for debate whether it's better or worse... I think that would be the question because I think you have an argument for either way on it. I, I can't see really one side that prevails. Give it a little bit more of a pickup vibe. It it works. I'll tell you that. There will be a lot of purists that might not like it, but hey, step in the right direction. A three-on-three three would be cool. 
We'll talk more about Malachi Branham and his performance when we get on uh, to Thursday's game against Illinois. But for now, let's talk about number 17 women's basketball who's, who hosted Penn State in a rematch of the January 3rd game that was postponed. Uh, this was Thursday, February 26th at 6 p.m. Yesterday, the Buckeyes tamed the Nittany Lions 78-55, another impressive home showcase, their final regular season home game before the tournament. Uh, Mike Sell and Beecham were the only Buckeyes who scored in double digits at 19 and 18 points, respectively. Ohio State, though, this is something that needs fixed. They shot 20% from beyond the arc as a team compared to 18% for Penn State, of course. So when you look at that, great. You you beat your opponent in that number, but still, you can't always rely on your opponent to have 18% and just match you shooting dismally from that area. See, I'm not too worried in that metric because the way Ohio State defended the perimeter, if they were still able to have that three-point shooting advantage and hold Penn State to an 18% clip, I would be okay with that if I'm Coach McGuff because Ohio State, I think that tells you something. If they're having one of their worst nights from shooting beyond the arc and they were able to hold their opponent to one of their worst shooting nights from beyond the arc, I'm okay with that. That's a good consolation, especially with the fact that they took this game still by 23. It is a good consolation, but my point being, you can't always rely on your opponent to have the same bad night from the arc as you do. We know as you as we get into tournament time, both Big Ten and National, you're going to face teams who are dead eyes from three, and no amount of defense you throw at them is going to stop them from being lights out from beyond. So... I think you have to, and Ohio State, credit to them, I think one of the main gaps that they had was due to the bench points, 32 bench points for Ohio State compared to Penn State's 16th. I think that depth is going to be important for Ohio State. Point being, if you allow yourself to have a poor night from three and not fix it or not compensate tremendously, if your opponent is shooting in maybe the 30s, 40s at most from that area, I think then you're in for a long haul that you're going to need to adjust quickly on it. What that adjustment is, I don't know. I haven't spent a minute as a basketball coach, but you can't always rely on your opponent to match a bad night of shooting for you beyond the arc. No, you're right. And especially when the Big Ten opponent is of the caliber of like an Iowa when they are just gunning it from deep, especially or with Maryland. Caitlin Clark, Maryland, Michigan, when they can knock down threes like it's nobody's business. Ohio State can, too. They're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten and in all of the nation. But still, you're right. When you go down to the wire through the gauntlet of Big Ten opponents through the Big Ten tournament, that's something that you definitely have to improve. Now switching over to our final game of the week, number 22 men's basketball at number 15 Illinois. This was the second of a three-game week for the Buckeyes. They'll conclude it against Maryland on Sunday, uh, which we'll talk about here when we get to our preview of the weekend. This was at Thursday, February 29th. And man, this central time schedule, 9 p.m. was the tip-off Eastern time for this. I was up late watching this game, Tyler. I'm sure you were too. But the Buckeyes upset the Illini, number 15 in the nation, 86-83. to Kofi Coburn, one of the best players in college basketball right now, let alone the Big Ten, uh, had a fantastic game as usual, but Ohio State able to put the collar on him, keep him tame there. Uh, the Buckeyes shot 50% both or higher, sorry, 50% or higher from both the field and three-point range. It was 57.1 was the three-point numbers in the first half for the Buckeyes on four of seven. It dipped from two to five uh, for 40% in the second half, which 
It's a little bit of a dip, but I think you still take 40% from beyond. And then, like I said, I promised you we'd talk about Malachi Branham when we got on later in the show. Well, it's later in the show. 31 points for Branham, second highest point total of his season after the January 2nd game at Nebraska, in which he had 35 points. Tyler, you mentioned that earlier. This is going to be something that I think is peaking at the right time. I think Branham is coming up at the right time for Ohio State. And a lot of people will say, oh, it's because he can alleviate Liddell, right? Kind of. I think he'll draw attention off Liddell. I think combined Liddell being not as consistent a scorer as we've seen him in the past with Branham now on this hot streak, I think you start to see teams switch their focus from Ohio State goes just through Liddell to now we have to worry about Branham more primarily. And you spent this whole season game planning as if Liddell was going to be the man. Now you've got to stop Branham. Branham alleviates that pressure on Liddell. And we had talked about this all season long because Zed Key's been up and down. Malachi Branham has finally emerged as that number two scorer. Key is such a focal point on the glass, and he still can get you nine, ten points a game. But Branham helps Liddell in the offense and getting these scoring opportunities. And Branham had another special game last night. He's had an unbelievable stretch. He's getting out of the right time, as you said. I'm going to quote a tweet from our Lantern Sports Editor, Jack Emerson. He was at the game at the State Farm Center yesterday in Urbana-Champaign. He said that in the press conference when Brad Underwood spoke to the media after the game, he called Malachi Branham the best player in the league. Maybe that was a little bit of a stretch, maybe a little bit hyperbolic, and also a lot of tensions were running after the game. I I would assume that Underwood was seething after that tough ejection late in the game. But after uh, amidst all that, there's got to be some truth to that statement. And I think Malachi Branham has cemented himself as a freshman of the year candidate in the Big Ten, maybe in the country. He's just done unbelievable stuff, and he's continuing to get better as the game has rolled along. And another Twitter quote, John Rothstein, college basketball's hungriest insider, Caleb, he's got all these catchphrases. Well, one of his most famous ones is that warning. If you consider following college basketball for the rest of the season, please consider contacting your nearest cardiologist. I think the same goes for if you consider following Ohio State for the rest of the season, consider contacting your nearest cardiologist. Get prescribed with whatever. Get buckled up because we've got a good stretch coming in February and in March. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is probably going to be one of the more entertaining Big Ten tournaments, let alone March Madness tournaments that we've had in a while. But, I mean, you've got to credit what what coach said after the game is if you've got a team if you're coaching the team with Kofi Coburn and you say that EJ Liddell is the best player in the nation that's got to be saying something it's got to have a lot of weight behind it so um, emotions are not to know that the media is going to run with whatever you say and that's what you say i think EJ Liddell has to be riding high on confidence now absolutely absolutely like that turn those turnaround jumpers first off he's got one of the best fadeaways in college basketball But every time, when they needed it most, he was able to turn around on Cole Hawkins and just flip one up and knock it down. From the left side, from the right side, he was just firing on all cylinders, and he was doing it with the flu. He had 21 with the flu, 
something that kept him in the hospital a couple days ago. He's out. He's loose at Illinois, one of the biggest games of the year of the regular season, that is, and he's doing that. And then you mentioned Coburn. I, I want to go and, and touch upon this little little quickly, Caleb, because Zed Key played 14 minutes, but if there's going to be anything that he did in this game, it was a decoy. He went to work on Coburn, not necessarily in scoring, did some good work on the glass, but he had Coburn on his heels, on his backside, always trying to foul. And Coburn, he was in those four foul threshold, one foul away from leaving the game for a lot of that second half. And finally, that push towards the end of the game was what cost Illinois the contest because they were able to come back without Coburn. Then Hawkins fouled out. And then it was kind of like the point of no return. For the Fighting Illini, they just had no chance because they were down Hawkins, they were down Coburn, Bosman's Verdunk was not playing in this game, so they were down their top three bigs, and some of these still kept it close. You knew it was Ohio State's game to win when it reached that point. I think Ohio State in this game, by exactly what you said, said keep playing physical. Not necessarily outscoring, but playing physical and keeping Coburn uncomfortable. I think you found Ohio State's solution to the height gap that they find themselves down so much with. You're going to have guys who are much, much taller than you, especially when you get up to playing the Gonzagas, the Wisconsins again. You're going to see them in the Big Ten tournament probably, depending on where we see that bracket stack up. But your point being, you're going to have to play teams that are taller than you. If you can outbody them in the paint with a guy like Zed Key, who can get physical, who can throw his weight around intelligently, may I add, and make them uncomfortable putting up numbers, get them into foul trouble even, I think that's how you beat the height. You can't out-block them. You can't outsize them. You can out-physical them. That's where small ball really comes to fruition, and Jamari Wheeler adds some length. Malachi Branham ran the point a little bit last night. Of course, we're talking about Thursday night. So look for this outlook, this five, six, seven man rotation to start. Look for that to play a big role in throwing off a lot of the taller teams in the Big Ten. And as I've as I've learned through my physics course so the past couple of weeks, uh, more mass takes more energy to move. So if you're going with a small ball lineup, statistics will show that you're quicker, that you have more energy to outlast these guys. So if you hustle them, kind of like in cross country, Tyler, if you have a rabbit, a guy who's not very good, but he'll run out, he'll sprint and bring out all the big guys to go and chase him and then win them by the first mile. I think that's how you beat these guys is you out hustle and you out physical them. But That's just my view. Like I said, I've never spent a moment as a coach, so take what you will. Previewing our week here now, women's lacrosse is at Denver later today, Friday, February 25th at 3 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. Men's tennis hosts Central Florida, UCF, Friday, February 25th at 6 p.m. at the Ty Tucker Tennis Center. Men's volleyball has Lindenwood in the Cavelli Center today at 7 p.m. in Columbus, Ohio. You can watch that on Big Ten Network+. Plus. Track and field is at the Big Ten Championships Friday, February 25th and Saturday, February 26th. Those times TBA, so make sure you're checking OhioStateBuckeyes.com. Click the All Sports schedule to check in on those times as they get up to date. That's in Geneva, Ohio. Men's swimming dive is at the Big Ten Championships Friday and Saturday, all day on both those days in West Lafayette, Indiana. You can watch that on Big Ten Network+. Plus. Now we get to probably the biggest games of the weekend 
for Ohio State, number two women's hockey hosting number seven St. Cloud State, Friday, February 25th at 6 p.m., Saturday, February 26th at 3 p.m., and if needed, Sunday, February 26th at 3 p.m., well, you can watch those on Big Ten Network Plus. Why do I say if needed? Usually we have a series and all three games get played. What's different about this one? Well, this one is the WCHA quarterfinal. Men's, women's hockey, rather, opening up their postseason schedule against the Huskies tonight, tomorrow, and if needed, Sunday. Two against seven seed. I'm not sure if we'll need Sunday, but we've been wrong before. Anything can happen in hockey here. But St. Cloud State, I'm not sure if they're going to be the team to dethrone Ohio State as that number two, especially at home. Nine and twenty-one and three is their record overall. Four and twenty and three in the conference entering the postseason. But here's where you get it: four and twelve on the road are the Huskies. It's not looking good for St. Cloud, but we've been proven wrong. Underdogs have happened before. It isn't, but playoff hockey, anything can go. And the Huskies, they return Clara Himlerova and Yanina Newland. From the Olympics, those are two of their better scorers. So the fact that they're going to have that, they're going to bring out pretty much everybody in full force for them, including you know Dale Ross, Kenzie Wiley. These are players that can step up big time. Taylor Lind. So they've got producers. They've got players that can fill it up, and they're returning their better players. Also look for Addie Scribner. Ohio State transfer, Caleb. Two games played two years ago, chose SCSU, close to family, better uh, pre-physical therapy program, and that look for her to play a little bit of a role in this game, looking out for some revenge. Anything can happen when these two teams meet, and look for just a, a fun two to three game set. Ohio State beat St. Cloud on their home ice a couple a couple games back. I think that closed out the Minnesota. Uh, stint, no, the Bemidji State series did. That was the middle game of that on the Tuesday. But also for Ohio State, something to check in. Where is Andrea Branley going to sit in the goalie lineup? Are they going to roll with Teeley on on Friday, possibly play Branley on Saturday? What's that going to look like? So if you want some en- un- some added entertainment, take a look at that and try to make up your own predictions on what's going to happen there. Me personally, I'm playing Branley in game two. Getting her back out on the ice because you never know what's going to happen. But the fact that if you ensure her some security in getting ice time, obviously you don't want to take away Teeley, but to give her a break, to have Branley go back out there and get reacclimated to the college base, because there's, there's a little bit of a difference between the college hockey realm and that of Olympic hockey, especially when Branley was facing up to 60 shots a game. So for her to get reintroduced to where she was before she left for Beijing in January, that's critical. So if I'm the Dean Mutzerell, and there's a reason why I'm talking about why if I would be Nadine Mutzerell and, and why I'm actually not, because she is an unbelievable head coach and has done wonders for the program, I would give Brantley the nod in Game 2 and see how that goes from there. Most likely give Teeley the Game 3 start if the series reaches that far. Yeah, I agree. You've got to get Brantley out on the ice at some point. She's not, by all in, by all indicators, she's not going to face the 60 shots a game that she played uh, against the Olympics. But it is important to get her back on the ice, get her acclimated to that pace. I think if Teeley plays a great game tonight, you're even in a better spot to put Brantley in at number two because Teeley's going to be exiting the series with some momentum, and she'll have confidence going into the later rounds of the tournament. If this goes to three, I agree with having 
Tealy come back in just to play, but having Brandley play at least one of these games, probably not the first one, but at least one of these games to get her her adjusting back to what college hockey is like versus Olympics, I think is going to be the smart move here for Nadine Muzeral. And no doubt, she's a smart coach. She knows that too. If we know that, she knows that. Absolutely. Baseball is at Texas State for a three-game series against the Bobcats Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 25th, 26th, and 27th, respectively. Today, they play at 4 p.m., Saturday at 3.30 p.m., and Sunday at 1 p.m. on all of those Eastern time. Baseball is going to have a fun trip out to out to Texas State. Like we mentioned, they open their series against the Snowbird Classic, playing multiple different teams on a couple nights. Now this is going to be their first time playing one team multiple times. And they're the going to be on ESPN+. Plus. This is a bona fide series, so they're going to be on ESPN+. Plus. So if you have a subscription, got to tune in, especially to Game 1. Isaiah Coupe slated to take the mound for the Buckeyes. He had that huge start, didn't give up a run, 11 strikeouts and six innings pitched. He's a lot of fun to watch. He's going up against Zeke Wood, a right-hand junior, so we got to have a little bit of a lefty-righty matchup. And with what the Buckeyes bring in terms of left-handed hitters, this could be an exciting one to give Coupe some run support. You know, you jumped in there pretty early, Tyler. I'd, I'd be inclined to say that you're somewhat of a baseball fan. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a hunch that I have. It could be wrong, but I think you may like that sport. I, I do. I, I happen to like the sport very much. See, that's the part of the experience that you just can't get since we're you nowhere know, in person. We're looking at each other. We're, we're playing off each other. But we hope that you can contain a lot of that sarcasm that we try and convey. And you know what? Teaser for SGSR next year. Perhaps we get a video component for the show. Ooh. Who knows? It's Who knows? it's something that we're toying about in the studio. We put cameras up here. We start giving you guys video content on a YouTube channel. Stay tuned for that because it's uh it, it it's more likely to happen than not. So stay tuned for that. Again, what's another way that they can tune in and make sure that uh, they're staying up to date with stuff? Maybe if we posted everything behind the scenes about the show on you know say Twitter for instance, you think that'd be a good idea? I think that'd be a good idea. Two words for you. Giddy up. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe a contraction in there, too. <laughs> uh, softball is at Columbia, South Carolina for a three-game series. Unlike the men's team, or excuse me, a four-game series, unlike the men's team, they will not be playing the same team multiple times. This is also Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday, today, they'll host Virginia Tech, or they'll play Virginia Tech at 1 p.m. Saturday is the doubleheader versus South Carolina at 3.30 and then concluding with Troy at 6. And then Sunday, we get a Battle of Ohio as they play the Miami Redhawks at 10.30 a.m. Bright and early Sunday softball for you there coming from Columbia, South Carolina. That's going to be something interesting, at least for me, how they handle themselves with the doubleheader. They've got Troy at 6 p.m., but that South Carolina one's going to be interesting. If you go back last week when they had the doubleheader, they split it and they lost to Liberty. So how they come out and look to try and take both games of that day-night or afternoon-evening doubleheader is going to be something to definitely note. Women's Gymnastics hosts Michigan State at the Cavelli Center in Columbus, Ohio, Saturday, February 26th at 4 p.m. You can watch that on Big Ten Network+. Plus. Men's Lacrosse is at Harvard. Harvard, Harvard, Harvard. Uh, Saturday, February 26th at 7 p.m. in Naples, Florida. Pistol hosts Army in Columbus, Saturday, February 26th and Sunday, February 27th. Those schedules are TBA. 
Fencing is at the CCFC Championship Saturday, February 26th, Sunday, February 27th, all day, both of those days, in Evanston, Illinois. Women's golf is at the Westbrook Invitational Sunday, February 27th, all day then, at the Vistas Course at the Westbrook Village Golf Club in Peoria, Arizona. No relation to Russell Westbrook, I don't believe. At least my research didn't show any. I don't believe so. Women's Swim and Dive is at the Last Chance Meet. Sunday, February 26th at 12 p.m. That'll be hosted in Columbus, Ohio. Women's Tennis hosts Pepperdine Sunday, February 27th at noon, 12 p.m. Eastern in Columbus, Ohio. Number 17 women's basketball is at Michigan State Sunday, February 27th at 2.30 p.m. You can watch that nationally on Big Ten Network. Michigan State fell 89-83 in Columbus against the Buckeyes January 12th, 5-5 in their last 10 games before this one. So, It'll be interesting to see how Michigan State bounces back. They're home on their on their home floor, but against the Buckeyes, a team that they've had troubled with in the past, is home field, is home court advantage rather going to play a factor against the Buckeyes? The Breslin Center, yes, always home court advantage up in East Lansing. Nia Cloudon's going to be a key in this one. She was a force in Columbus. She had that twenty point game, but look for her to get out a little bit more scoring be a threat on the glass as well. If you stop clouding, good things are going to happen. Men's tennis is at Notre Dame Sunday, February 27th at 2.30 p.m. in South Bend, Indiana. Women's lacrosse is at Colorado in Boulder Sunday, February 27th at 3 p.m. Uh, you can watch that on Pac-12 Plus live stream that was linked on the game badge at OhioStateBuckeyes.com. I envy the women's lacrosse team because Kittridge Field, the home of the Colorado Buffaloes women's and men's lacrosse teams, might have the best view for a venue in college sports. Have you seen it? I have not. The only place I've been to Colorado is at Colorado Springs. Okay. Well, that makes sense. has a great view on their own place. Because your brother, happy birthday tomorrow, Josh. Yeah, exactly. You you beat me to it. I look like a crappy brother now that I didn't shout that out and you did. (laughs) Well, you mentioned to me this morning before we recorded the show, so I'm not saying I look that great either, but of course he is a runner at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, right? Yes, yes. So there you go. Happy birthday, Josh. But University of Colorado, beautiful, beautiful view of the mountains right on the field. It's just a gorgeous place to play, and I envy them as they make the trip out this weekend. And for the record, just so I can try to improve my self-image, I sent my gifts down to him last week, so he's had them for a while now. So I'm thinking ahead here if I don't mention it first on the show. Uh, number 22, finally, men's basketball is at Maryland, as we mentioned earlier, Sunday, February 27th at 4 p.m. You can watch that on CBS Maryland. They had the Buckeyes and the Golden Gophers at home to close out their season against Michigan State on the road. Those last three games of the season, they're four and six over their last 10. Shaky couple games in the past, but I think Maryland may benefit from home from the home court advantage. I think Ohio State, though, riding too much momentum after two Fantastic Big Ten games. I don't think Maryland comes away the victors in this one. I don't see that to be the case. I think you're right. But the Xfinity Center is a tough place to play. And especially you give them a Sunday tip-off, give them a national game on CBS, and they're going to really bring out the sea of red. It'll be an interesting one to definitely take a look at. Fats Russell, he was the main contributor when these two teams played last time. Also, Dante Scott had one of the best games of his career. So if you can limit what Maryland does around the perimeter, I think good things are going to happen for Ohio State's defense, and that's going to translate well to offense. 
Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at State of Mind OSU for updates on showtimes and for additional information on Behind the Buckeyes and our Lantern uh, Nothing But Nylon Men's Basketball Tournament Roundtable discussion that'll be coming within the next couple week or so. Uh, we want to have that out and done by at least Wednesday the 8th because I'll be traveling as part of our SGSR team to Indianapolis to cover that series. So we want to have that done uh, so you guys get that. But we're waiting to see where the seed where all the chips fall in terms of seeding for the tournament before we break that down for you. We want to have all our information so you guys do too. And of course, for our Spotify listeners, our question of the day. When we come to playing baseball, which do you prefer or which would you prefer? Long or short socks? I think I'm more of a long socks guy. I haven't played baseball since T-ball back when I was eight. But uh, Tyler, you have more experience in the sport than I do. Is there a preference that you have? I'm team long socks all the way. First off, my dad, if he were listening to this episode, which I'm assuming he he will be, he is a long socks enthusiast, so he would probably disown me if I went with the short socks. My last couple of years, I played high school baseball, played baseball all my life. Short socks was kind of the way to go, but at times it was the long socks. Also, we are fans of the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, if you are an Indians Guardians fan, of course they were Indians at the time. Long socks were a part of like the culture because if you go through the 90s, starting in 97, Jim Tomey always wore the high socks. That spread to the entire team in the 1997 season. That's what, you know, superstition. That's what that's what one of the superstitions that led uh that led the Indians to the World Series, you can make the argument. Everybody wore the high socks. Carlos Santana brought it back in the mid-2010s. So if you especially are a Clevelander, you're going to know the long socks is the way to go. But I, I think that's been kind of the trend for a lot of players from travel baseball to the major league level. I think the high socks has been the recent trend as of late. See, high socks look cooler. They're more flashy, but I'm sure they get hot, especially if you play with a team that has a black uniform. They get hot when it gets warm. (laughs) But actually, two of my my favorite uh, Indian slash Guardians players from recent memory, they're split on this issue because Clevenger had short socks, but Bieber wears long. So I'm... Kind of split if I look to role models on this, but uh, let us know your thoughts down below in the description if you're listening to us on Spotify. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you again on Monday. Give you an update on when to expect that show coming out on Twitter right around sometime Saturday in the evening. But until then, for Tyler Damberg, I'm Caleb Spinner. That's the show. We're out of here. We're out of here.